0: to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, we host a panel with members from AEP's Climate Change Committee, Michael Hendricks, Jennifer Reed, and Rich Walter. The panel discusses why they joined the Climate Change Committee, the contributions they've made, and how the committee has impacted their careers and lives. Michael Hendricks is a leading California climate change scientist and climate action planner with over 26 years of experience. He is authored to provide a technical oversight of 72 climate action plans throughout the United States. Michael is a recipient of the AEP Professional Achievement Award and is currently the chairperson for the AEP Climate Change Committee, where he provides leadership within AEP on the issues of climate change risk, adaptation, resiliency, and analysis of greenhouse gas emissions. Jennifer Reed leads DUDEX air quality services team and has over 15 years of experience. She specializes in air quality, greenhouse gas emissions, health risk assessment, and energy technical analyses. She also teaches an air quality and GHG emissions course for UC Davis Continuing and Professional Education. And she's an active member in AEP's Climate Change Committee and has demonstrated success in relaying technical analyses in a way that is easy to understand. Rich Walter has 30 years of experience in environmental planning, compliance, permitting and mitigation. Rich leads the ICF Climate Action Planning Practice, which has developed climate action plans, GHG inventories for hundreds of communities across the United States, general plans and studies of adaptation to sea level rise. Rich is a key author for the AEP White Papers on Climate Action Planning and the California Air Pollution Control Officers Association White Papers on CEQA and Climate Change and on Climate Change and General Plans. Thanks for listening to this episode, and we hope you enjoy.
1: Hi, I'm Laurel, and this is the AEP episode with the AEP Climate Change Committee. I'm so happy to have just a few members of a very large committee that we have at AEP. We've got Michael and Jennifer and Rich, and together we're just going to talk about all things climate change leadership with AEP. We obviously know how you're connected to AEP, given that you're on the committee. So let's start with Michael sharing with why you joined the Climate Change Committee.
2: Well, um, I didn't so much join as um, at the time in 2006, when then Attorney General Brown uh, sued the county um, in October, literally several days after signing AB 32. And he sued the county of San Bernardino for not addressing greenhouse gas emissions and climate change in their general plan update EIR. And the county looked at me with like deer in their eyes, said, what do we do? Uh, Because I was working with them at the time. And uh, Kent Norton, who was the president of AP, said, we need to put out a white paper addressing this because everyone was clamoring after that lawsuit as to how we address greenhouse gas emissions and climate change in CEQA documents. So we put out this white paper, uh, Alternative Approaches to Addressing Climate Change in CEQA. Uh, That actually became public in 2007. And there were these folks from ICF that were bugging me while we were putting out drafts of that. And in particular, Rich was wanting to contribute to it. And I go, these are all the same thoughts we have, which is actually a good sign. But at the time, I thought, well, that they're not providing anything new. Little <laughs> did I know <laughs> that uh, we, we'd we have a relationship from then on. So that is how I joined uh, the AP Climate Change Committee. That white paper had a lot of traction. And um, AEP board decided that they would create this climate change committee or have me create the climate change committee as an ad hoc committee just to deal with this issue and then once we've got it all solved uh, the committee would dissolve wow. that that hasn't happened yet <laughs>
3: that is not we're happening. still an ad hoc committee though.
2: You know, yes, we are. Yes. So if we not ever a permanent
3: committee, we're an change. ad hoc, you
1: know? <laughs> yeah. And I will, I will add that. So Michael as chair of the climate change committee is on our AEP board of directors. And like me being the podcast director, we don't have voting privileges um, in the board meetings, but we do contribute like so much information and the climate change committee, every time we're in these board meetings, there's always something going on i mean california and climate policy they go hand in hand it's a big deal we're leading the way we're doing all these things but i assume back then 2006 2007 you had no idea what was coming so rich you joined because michael was like you should join and um why did you stay
3: (laughs) It's a little of that ad hoc permanence uh, thing is that it, it continues to be challenging, is that, you know, never a dull moment. Um, but uh, probably on a more personal level, um, it's because of the people that are on the committee. And so the issue is there. So we have a lot to do, but we have a really uh, diverse and interesting group. And it, it's changed a bit over time. And some of us, you know, won't leave like me, um, but um you know it's it's that uh, ability to really stand out of the day to day uh you know consulting work um which which i like you know and we we do that but this is a chance for us one to kind of drop our drop our company uh labels for a moment you know um we all compete for work and you know in in the course of that this is where we step back from that and we say well how should we do our work what is the best way to do this what are the consequences and we have rousing debates about what that might be because of the diversity and the experience of the people that, um, come to, come to the committee. And so that's really, uh, intellectually challenging. It's also, these are conversations I don't get to have on a daily basis. I learn a lot. I get challenged a lot on, on, you know, things I'll bring in into the committee sometimes and store things up and they'll get shot down <laughs> or, or embraced. Um, but that is, uh, it's very intellectually rewarding and uh it's also made me a better consultant, I think. Um and you know, that that's really that opportunity to think more broadly um about these topics with a lot of really smart people. Um that's why I've stayed.
1: Yeah, I hear you. And and thank you for the reminder that you know, we're all consultants here on the call and we do good work every single day. We sh- we not only compete with each other, but we do also collaborate. So being a part of AEP as a volunteer, which doesn't, you don't really get performance metrics or bonuses around, Mm-mm. you know, <laughs> being on the climate change committee or the podcast committee, for example. But, um, you know, it is an opportunity to also share your professional thoughts and feelings uh, without having to represent, you know, ICF in Rich's case, or Dudek in, in Jennifer's case, um, Michael and I owning our own consulting firms can say whatever we want to say, but is <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's a break, right? Like you get to take a break from all the things that you're doing in the consulting world every day, and then group group up with these brilliant minds and like just explore a whole other avenue. And I can completely understand how that has been attractive. And Jennifer, on your side, I know that you're a relatively newbie. Why did you join and and why are you staying?
4: <laughs> yes. Um, and I echo what, what Rich said too. Uh, you're right. I'm more of a newbie. Uh, I joined in 2019. I basically invited myself onto the group. I didn't give him a chance to say, to say no. Um, I've always really enjoyed being part of a group or a team and all the good that can come from it. But it did take me a while to find the right fit for me in my professional career I've been involved with AEP since the start. Um, A long time ago, at one point, I was uh, the secretary for the board of my local chapter. And while I was contributing, I don't think I was adding a lot of value. When I'm a part of a team, I feel good when I add value. And you know, fit fit goes both ways. You have to be the right fit for the the team or the firm, and the firm has to be the right fit for you. So anyone who's listening, if you haven't found your right fit, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities out there in the professional organizations. Um, with the AEP committee, I finally feel like I'm adding value. I'm also continually benefiting from being a part of this group of incredible brain power. You know. Um, being a typical air quality uh, you know, greenhouse gas nerd, like I love doing calculations and running models, but the days at the end of the day where I come home and go, man, I really love my job are the ones where I'm brainstorming with talented peers to find practical solution to challenging problems and then mentoring and then sharing all that hard-earned, Knowledge with others, and so the reason why I just love being on the A.P. Climate Change Committee because I literally get to do both of those things, which I love, at my firm, but with this group again of just this insane brain power.
1: And I love that we're all over the map, like well, all over the California map, really. You know, Jennifer, you being in O.C., Rich in S.F., me in Santa Barbara, Michael in Hesperia. and I'm sure. I mean, there's a how many people Michael are on the climate change committee in total, or does it fluctuate?
2: Initially, 15. Not all 15 are actively participating at every meeting. Typically, we have about 10 of us, 9, 10 of us that that you can count on being at nearly every meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then others pop in and out. Some I have uh, what I would call uh, emeritus membership. <laughs> I, want, I want them to contribute whenever they feel like... Uh, mike from um cal poly slow uh Mm -hmm. in there mike boswell uh, yeah mike boswell he's he's one that rarely is he at a meeting occasionally his he is his wife tammy pops in and out too um (laughs) and then i have uh a, a few others like that but the, the core of us, about 10 of us, are, are really actively engaged in the meetings, and we have meetings uh, every other week.
1: Oh, uh, Yeah, it is a very engaged group, and the age diversity is there, too. As you said, you've got Emeritus members that pop in. It's really crucial. I mean, AP, right now, we keep talking about our mentorship program that we're launching next year and how we want to connect Emeritus with young professionals and have these discussions where... People like you guys who have been doing this good work for so long, as you said, Jennifer, can mentor and pass it on to others and build them up. And and I do want to highlight what you said, Jennifer, about contributing. Like you feel your best when you're adding value to a particular group. And there's so many different ways to contribute in AEP, whether at the local level, at the state board level, or on these ad hoc committees or formal (laughs) committees that have votes. What? Um, let's start with you, Jennifer, and go to what are some of the contributions that you've made that you're most proud of?
4: Well, at first, I was nervous to talk around everyone. because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I would say, um, if anyone would agree with it. And then I started feeling that I can just say whatever I want. And then, like Rich said, we can have these great conversations. So I... I love on just the calls, the the conversations that we have, and you're right, we have so many challenges, so many things to solve, um, but we're more than just greenhouse gas. It's the one thing I wanna say, that like we we do tackle a lot of air quality too, and air quality will always be challenging. You know, case law continuously evolves air quality and greenhouse gas in both CEQA and, and climate action plans. Um, but I have taken some of my, um, Project experience, some of the challenging ones, let's say offsets in San Diego. Uh, I like to say I talk about it too much. I wish that I can stop talking about it and we can just solve the problem. But that's the theme of a lot of the issues that we have at hand. Um, But um, so some on the offsets, we've been doing some toxic stuff lately, which I really enjoy. um, Trying to strategize on the direction that greenhouse gas thresholds are going um, and helping helping some agencies that are trying to fight the good fight and give us guidance, but not steer us in the wrong direction. Um, but I'll pause there. What
1: about Rich and Michael? Yeah, go for it, Rich. What contributions have you made that you're most proud of or enjoy the most?
3: Well, if I can bring a little bit of humor to the committee, I appreciate <laughs> that <laughs> because we get in hot and heavy. Um, uh, as as the other members know, I, I'm very passionate about my opinions, uh, but hopefully, it's not it's not in a judgmental way of people who disagree with them. It's that um, uh, I, I just like to push things against the wall, see what sticks, you know. And and to do that, you have to have willing uh, compatriots uh, to do that. So a certain passion for it. Uh, interestingly enough, I am not an air quality modeler or a GHG modeler. Um, I, I really approach this from a project manager's or project director's point of view. So uh, I hope that I'm contributing, um, you know, especially on the uh, how do clients see this, how do uh, environmental advocates see this, how do litigants see this. Um, so you know, I can I can dip my toes into the um, into the uh, quantitative side uh, when I need to. Um, you know, credit of a father who was a civil engineer. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think we were doing times tables, you know, when I was barely out of nappies, you know, so, um, but <laughs> it's really trying to uh, pull together those other different aspects of policy beyond the technical uh, of where this, where this is going to fly. So I hope I'm contributing that um, to the committee.
1: Yeah. Humor and strategy. It's important, right? Cause we get, we can get so into the weeds with technical stuff. I mean, Jennifer, when you talk about San Diego, it's like, all of our minds have been blown from San Diego climate planning and how we do it has all changed. And, and I started my first climate planning experience at the County of San Diego on their cap, which I think was like the third time it was sued or litigated. Um, And it's, it's uh, at one point, like to motivate myself to keep moving forward and fight the good fight. Like you said, being a public agency member was, I have to think about how California is the world's fifth largest economy and the climate action plans that we work on are the biggest risks to the public funds in some of the biggest counties in the world's fifth largest economy. So if you can kind of like pull yourself up and be like, oh, man, this is environmental leadership because these are the hardest challenges, the most controversial, complicated, the riskiest. So as a project director, Rich, you're looking at risk management strategies you're looking at scope schedule budget from the developer side from the public agencies from all the other stakeholders and how do we how do we solve these problems this is so hard enter aeb climate change committee so that said michael being you know the founder the uh the one of the common threads the blurred constant in all of this what are some of the contributions that you've made that you're most proud of or enjoy the most?
2: Well, I'm most proud of what the Climate Change Committee's done to me and how it's molded me. So I've, in a sense, found a life purpose, if you will. So this this purpose of addressing climate change and doing it in a way that's rational and feasible has been the main motivation of the Climate Change Committee, as well as air quality issues. but that in turn has really, as I said, given me a life purpose in that I am contributing not just at a professional level, but at a personal level in some little niche, little teeny niche, I'm making a difference in the world. So after I'm gone, there'll be, it'll be a little better, not enough to really uh, claim any credit, but just enough to show that uh, this is meaningful work. And that meaningful work is, is what has really energized me to continue with the Climate Change Committee and continue uh, solving problems, if you will. So I'm with Jennifer and that the most fun we have in our profession is when we are really brainstorming to figure out how to solve a difficult issue. And that uh, has permeated my whole life in a sense because of that.
3: And and I want to I want to I want to give a shout out to Michael on something that he's brought to the committee that I think is absolutely critical to both its longevity and its effectiveness is that Michael has uh, uh, always advocated that the committee um, should represent multiple solutions and that these are tough issues. There are a lot of different valid points. You know, there's weaknesses and strengths to any argument, but. Um, Michael's never been about leading this committee towards one answer or embracing one answer because there's usually multiple answers that the consulting world, the legal world is bringing to this. It's not, it's, it's, you know, we may individually think this is the best answer, um, but Michael has always advocated that we bring all those arguments um, into our white papers or into our presentations. And, you know, some of the things just don't fly and we'll, we'll let those, you know, let those, you know, go into the dustbin. Uh, but I think it's a real credit to Michael that he's always been advocating that we bring all those ideas to the table because, um, that's makes us more effective as an educational, uh, you know, committee. Uh, we definitely inform it and California is really diverse and these issues, you know, um, they probably have, they have multiple solutions or they have solutions that we don't know which one's going to ultimately work in the end, as much so as we, why we advocate need... for one position. That's what, and so I really give credit to Michael for that point of
2: view. And it is important to look at those different avenues because we really need to explore all the potential solutions to those problems. The ones and, that and w-
3: without that without that you we wouldn't have a climate action plan in san bernardino county and in santa monica and and san francisco and you know um uh you know in in all these other places because if it had, had been you know i sit in san francisco so there's certain types of caps that fly in the bay area right yeah um they won't fly in other places um because well, we're all you have different. to approach it so differently and if if you if you came with one solution you'd have less climate action plans not more yes. that's the that's the interesting thing if everybody had to meet the san diego crucible mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? none of us would have a plan well
1: we can't and we also yeah, like <laughs> and, and,
3: and, and that that's what the diverse point of view is is what can every place do what works in different places but still is making positive contribution on that and that uh, I think that's critical in a, in a state that's as diverse as, as California or a country that's as diverse as the U.S., you know.
1: yeah, You have to have I,
3: different approaches.
1: I want to add, because um, as a, when I was first starting out as an environmental professional, and I'm learning about what planning is and CEQA, and you start to, like, learn that every county, every jur- land use jurisdiction is different, and you're like... When a developer or somebody comes to you and says, oh, how much is permitting going to cost for me to do all these solar projects I want to do, for example? And you're like, well, it depends. And then it also depends on what policies each jurisdiction has in place. So not only just their land use zoning and their environmental permitting requirements at the local, state, and federal level, but also their policies. I mean, California has statewide policies, but then each local jurisdiction has its own unique uh, general plan policies, et cetera, because they're diverse in themselves. Like I keep going back to San Diego, for example, because it's a rural county. Like it it has the highest abundance and diversity of organisms. It has some of the largest open space. It is a rural county. And yet you have these very, very dense communities. And so trying to solve greenhouse gas emissions or climate change where people are mobile and commuting really long distances between where they live and work and play that is, I found to be the joy of becoming a planner, the joy of becoming environmental professionals. You're like, oh, well, it depends. And let me sleuth and investigate and put all this together. So to your point, Michael, about like enriching your personal life, I found I'm a I'm a better thinker being involved okay. in AP because we go okay, what happens if I pull this string over here? What is it going to affect over here? What are the unintended consequences? Not just what are the financial risks? Of course, there's always costs, but what are the real intangible benefits? What are the co-benefits? What are the unintended consequences? Are there going to be environmental justice issues? Are certain groups going to benefit more than others or, or have higher costs than others? That is why I find it so complicated. And that is why I feel like the Climate Change Committee is, is ad hoc, but forever long lasting. And thank you again, Rich, for acknowledging uh, Michael's unique contribution because I felt that too. You know, Michael, you're a grandfather and a parent. And I often come to you at board meetings and <laughs> I'm like, what is, it, what is it like being a grandparent? And like, what have you seen change over your life and in this profession? And I just... I want to highlight that your institutional knowledge and the way that you share your your personal enrichment has been very inspiring to um, up-and-comers and, and people like me that are growing within the organization. So this is another little love fest shout out to Michael. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah. And so
4: speaking of, I know you've said enriching, I just wanted to yes. also say that, you know, we, we come together and we... Uh, put a lot of thought into stuff, but then we just don't keep it to ourselves, right? We have great representation throughout firms with air quality and greenhouse gas professionals. Uh, we think of something, I go, oh my goodness. I go to my team, I go, let's talk about it. I bring those great ideas back and it. So what we go throughout like all of our teams bringing these ideas in and out. But then once we have some good ideas to take to everyone else, we write papers, we speak at conferences. And that also, I feel, is like a feel-good part, a good thing that we should be proud of and how we're contributing to better the industry by sharing these ideas, getting them out there and seeing, like Rich said, seeing which ones stick, which ones can, can make progress and, and make better changes.
1: What are some of those white papers and um, external communications? I mean, we know that that y'all do the climate change workshop every conference, and that is like a staple, and we all go, and it's fantastic. Walk us through some of the white papers that you're like, this was a game changer.
4: I, I did like the offset one recently after Golden Door, because we, the team was um, getting all these briefs after the case, a lot from attorneys that had some um, kind of negative thoughts about offsets after. And we went in hard with our um, sassy opinions and put out a you know a paper saying this is what we think. This is the science. And um, I think it was well received. And in um, quote, I think some people appreciated that stance. It was really um not the same stance of everyone else saying oh just don't use offsets anymore it's too risky. it's like no this is what we think here's the better way to do it i thought that that was a, that was a good one
3: plus plus that one really challenged all the attorneys the the yes. <laughs> attorneys by probably necessity are a conservative bunch not left right conservative but careful and uh and they and a lot of them were like oh well, no offsets i can't can't do offsets you know and so I think we almost universally said, whoa, Nelly!" you know, let's back up and think about the science on that. So that was that was fun, you know, from mm-hmm. a professional point of view. I really liked, um, you know, we did a number of uh, white papers uh, and we're going to work on a new one on greenhouse gas thresholds. And uh, we did it, you know, initially, uh, Michael did it, you know, initially way back in 07. In and then we came back when SB 32 passed and we did a whole new series of ones. Uh, I'm really proud of the ones that we did in 2015 and 2016 when we not only dealt with SB 32 and like a new more aggressive schedule, we actually explored what is it going to be uh, when we have to deal with carbon neutrality? And that was you know six, seven years ago. And now this year we have to deal with carbon neutrality with the new law. So I felt like we were you know at the edge uh, of the practice and and helping people to think long term about what this is going to be.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, California Michael, what, is at the edge too. Michael, what's one know? of your
3: some of your favorites?
1: So
2: one of them's fairly old. It was uh, the California Supplement. We were going oh, yeah, through right, right. what you need in a climate action plan as far as uh, protocols and trying to lay the groundwork because if you remember at that time there was the General Reporting Protocol, but then Icle had their own. Uh, U.S. protocols they had just put out. That was what 2012.
1: And Michael, 2012. Michael, for the audience, uh, what's Icli?
2: Uh, what <laughs> International. Well, they they are a nonprofit that focuses on local climate action planning throughout the world. Uh, so they have Icli U.S., which used to be. Headquartered in the San Francisco Bay Area, but is now, I believe, on the East Coast. Yeah. uh, And is not nearly as large as uh, Ickley in Europe, I think, is where their stronghold is. But we've pushed uh, Ickley in particular on on just methods so that things are CEQA compliant, which was a totally foreign concept to ICLEI, and how CAPS could be what we call qualified under CEQA guidance.
1: What other nonprofit organizations has AEP partnered with or pushed in the process of coming out with these papers and opinions?
3: We worked, I mean, there was the Ickley work, obviously, um, that we coordinated on. Um, I'm trying to think of other organizations. We, we've, it's kind of, we brought a lot of perspectives from different organizations we've either encountered or worked with. So um, uh, the Building Industry Association, Michael has, has worked with them very productively, I think, to take an organization that was initially very opposed Um to most of these, and concerned that putting greenhouse gas in Sequoia would stop development, mm-hmm. And I think we um, we we have a lot of that through the work. But I think we've also brought that experience when when we're interacting with them, or interacting with the Sierra Club, or um, you know 350.org, or other organizations on the climate action plans. We bring those perspectives back in. I don't know that we formally collaborated uh, with them. We did work with um, uh, some academic researchers. Um, uh, when um, there, there was a rather pejorative article that came out uh, uh, mm. about local uh, emissions reductions in the New York Times, and wow. they had mostly misinterpreted a researcher's um, uh, findings um, that was you know partially critical of some problems in local city accounting for greenhouse gas, but actually when you when we met, we actually met with the researchers at uh, where were they Arizona State I think.
2: Uh, university in Northern Arizona.
3: Oh, Northern yeah. Arizona. Yeah. yeah. University of Northern Arizona. When we actually, we actually, as a committee met with the researchers and said, Hey, we got some issues and we kind of talked it out. And we found that as, as typical, you know, go to the source, read the actual paper in the first place, as opposed to the headlines about it.
1: Nah.
3: Uh, and, uh, we were able to kind of get to the nubs of what they were doing. Uh, and that was important. We put out, we put out some, um, notices on it, others did as well to kind of temper down because people can get the really wrong impression from a newspaper article if they don't understand the science behind it and kind of the practice behind it. So I I liked our involvement there because we were able at least to, within our field to kind of communicate, hey, wait a minute, the sky is not falling. Here's, here's where some of the problems are. Those are valid things. Let's work on those. Here's where most things are working well, you know, and we were able to recorrect that. I don't think at a national scale, I'd love if we had that influence, but (laughs) at least in the arenas that we work in, we were able to influence that. Are there November. any other organizations, yeah. Michael? Well, I don't you can think, think these think oh,
4: aren't yeah. nonprofits, but I think it's really yeah. important to note that over the last few years, we've had some excellent conversations, really open conversations with air districts.
2: Yeah. yeah. And
4: recently yeah. with Carb. So, um, you know, in the past, yeah. I just don't remember, you know, I'd give them a call, ask them for guidance and advice. I don't remember having this more like transparent, like, we're here to help. Let's not worry about the words we're going to say to each other on this call. Yeah. And we've worked with South Coast, Air Quality Management District for Cumulative Toxics, San Luis Obispo, APCD on their greenhouse gas threshold update, um, great conversations with the Bay Area AQMD for their greenhouse gas um, threshold update, and CARB recently with their draft 2022 mm-hmm. scoping plan, especially Appendix D, um, focusing on CEQA guidance. And those calls I have just been, well, I mean, we should have, um, way more of them because we can never squeeze in enough and like the hour we a lot, but they've just been really, I think um, we've been make, making progress. And I think we've been helpful on, on both sides. They've been listening. We've been listening. Um, I, liked, I liked the Bay Area one a lot because internally... We had this discussion. I know there's kind of like, and this is kind of going into the where we're going in the future, but there's just kind of two thoughts, right? There's like this perfection is the enemy of progress or the shoot for the moon. And even if you misses, is, you'll land amongst the stars. And like both of these arguments like make sense in the fight for climate change. I think like for Sequoia, when you look at individual projects, being reasonable to make solid progress, you know, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it, but not hold back otherwise development that would help a, you know, benefit a community is like the better approach. And so we've had a lot of these agencies that want to go for that perfection. And we're just like, let's do what kind of like what we can. And those have been really good conversations.
1: I appreciate you bringing that up because I was going to ask about the Climate Change Committee's collaboration with CARB. Because obviously they come out with these scoping plans and everything that is supposed to really implement all these um, policy initiatives that we have around climate change. And I just want to drive home to our audience that when I think of climate change in California, I think of AEP at the leadership table with these policy decision makers and with the implementers in our profession. And you guys really link those two where where you go and you have these honest, open, transparent conversations with regulators, and you're able to bring in all the perspectives and then write a really well thought out position paper that helps our profession implement it, which ultimately when something can be implemented easily, when there's more clarity, it helps developers do their job better because they're the ones that are putting up the dough and the energy to pun intended, to build these energy, renewable energy projects, they need this help. They need this guidance. And oftentimes policymakers, um, this is no kind of policy, but oftentimes policymakers, it's really hard to implement. Like there's not a lot of implementation guidance that gets really down to the practical day to and day. And that is where I feel like the AAP climate change really comes in and people like you come in where you're like, okay, project specific day to day, this is how you implement it. This is how it can be done. I again, I just I often feel like when developers come to California and they go, CEQA, what is that? Surely that can't be that big of a deal. Well, it is, and uh, good news—we've got committees that can that can help you implement it. So with with Carb and their work, um, Jennifer, let's start with you. How do you feel like you've um, really influenced the practical implementation of their requirements?
4: Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is one of the first times Carb reached out to us with their scoping plan, right? Oh, and it's the first time, yeah. 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 And, and they no, reached out great. to us.
1: Oh, wow,
2: yeah. but,
4: but they had their yeah. big listening ears on. Uh, they they were they really wanted to hear from us versus check the box. Like we reached out to stakeholders, right? Like they really did want to hear because while you know a lot of them understand Sequoia and were maybe consultants in the past, like we we're like active consultants and we can kind of give feedback of what's going to work and what's going to hold up. And one of the things they said is that CEQA is getting in the way of housing that we need. Um, and, and we agree, we don't want to be the reason why projects get held up. And greenhouse gas is a, a big, big reason for that. Um, with the a lot of the cases, there's two, probably too many to name. Um, but then CARB being the state's agency to fight climate change, the one responsible, the one right in the the blueprint they also want to be aggressive so it's it's kind of this fine line you don't want Sequoia to get in the way but you also you know you want to be aggressive but not, not too aggressive and i think that was one of the big conversations we had with them you know is this local off-site um you know not otherwise required reductions are those available right now are those feasible now probably not is this more of a long-term goal um I thought that was a, a really big, helpful thing. Um, and then I'll let Rich and Michael talk about the other stuff about substantial progress. Um, we don't know yet how this is going to shake out because we haven't seen the final, but we're hopeful. But uh, again, uh, Rich or Michael, if you want to talk about yeah, that was, substantial progress one, that's a big well, thing. Let's go to
1: Michael. Yeah. The
2: team, yeah. So, I wanted to branch out a little bit, The. But- Agencies are not an easy thing to influence or get into. It took literally personal relationships and networks to build trust within those agencies that this truly was not just a stakeholder, but a group they could use as a think tank. And over the years, that has progressed. So air districts now talk to us, even come and request our input because of the personal relationships the committee members have made with staff at those agencies. Um, Mm -hmm. We tried to reach out to CARB, gosh, way back in 2007, and the very first scoping plan, and they have always had a hands-off approach to us. They felt we were advocating a particular position for developers or consultants, so I was very encouraged this year that they reached out to us when they were drafting the 2022 scoping plan. Finally, we built those relationships to that point. You know, it fantastic. didn't hurt that I,
3: I had a colleague of mine that worked at ICF that was on that team. So yeah. had been hearing for the 10, 12 years he was with ICF, he'd been hearing all this in part from things coming from my participation on the committee, I bring it back. And I was like, hey, hey guys, what about this? So he'd been hearing of that and he'd been doing a lot of that work he's not the only person, but he was on that team. And, you know, we we're, we're friends. So that, that mm-hmm. helped because he, he reached, he had reached out to me and said, and, and actually was very interested on that side of bringing this local, uh, local development, local government kind of perspective to parts of carp Cause the scoping plan is a lot of things and, it is. you know, it's dealing with cars, it's dealing with the, with the grid, it's dealing with industrial sources um, that, isn't the focus of most of our work? You know, most of our work is is on local climate action plans, local development type projects. But this is the first time, and give credit to carp This is the first time they've really dived into developing that role. Previously, they said, "And local government should do some things," you know, and should help out. This time, they actually took the uh, you know got in and said, "Oh, here's a number of things. Here's some specific ways that we think that local development, local climate action planning can contribute." to the state's overall success. So kudos to them that they got in the game. And then um, we're really appreciative that they reached out and that we had, you know, a dialogue about these issues that that Jen had raised and and others. I'm just glad
1: because when I think about it, like it's freebie, like climate change committee, it's a free source of knowledge and resources. So you'd think like public agencies would be like, sweet, I don't have to pay consultants to figure this out. I get to use paid consultants for free to figure this out. On that note, I do want to switch to, um, like Jennifer said, like the future. So we've got AB 1279 that we want to talk about. Um, Rich, Michael, why don't you kick us off with the carbon neutrality discussion? Where is all of this going? What's the next thing that we're going to address? So
2: carbon Neutrality is is a very challenging process. And and really, what it comes down to as a whole, if you're looking at a climate action plan, we've always been reducing emissions. We need to get them past just reducing into zero. And that's going to require sequestration and mechanical removal and things like that. So figuring out where local agencies, cities and counties can go with their climate action plan and how far they can go in complementing what the state is doing to get into carbon neutrality, right now is a huge challenge. And at a project level, I never thought projects were a good fit for CEQA analysis of GHG emissions. It's a cumulative impact and it makes more sense to put climate change in context with what's going on around the project within a city or a county or a region than just to look at a project. But project thresholds, how's how's carbon neutrality gonna affect that? that? That is the challenges we have. So we are amongst the committee right now discussing those and coming up with alternative approaches to how we can deal with this at a project level in determining levels of significance in CEQA and at a climate action planning level, determining how we can feasibly have a carbon neutrality target.
1: Right.
3: Yeah. An interesting challenge of this is that there's the technical challenge of turning it up to 11, you know, to think of Spinal Tap, you know, <laughs> yes. is that we've been, we've been turning up to 11 and now 12 and now 13, Um. you know, on everything we can squeeze out in a local climate action plan or on a project level. But this, the neutrality, interestingly enough is going to also introduce is what I will call storytelling, <laughs> which is there's, there's everything you can put in the project. And there's also this need to show how we're going to get to this goal in 2045, you know? And most things that we analyze in CEQA a lot of environmental, we're looking at today. It's like this habitat, this air quality, this kind of thing. Here, we're talking about everything we can do on the project today. And then how does it perform over time in combination with what the state is doing If the feds ever do anything, you know, to get to this goal, that element, that whole storytelling, it's not just, it's not just words. It's actually, you know, kind of actions that, that will happen over time, either by a city, by a county, by the state, by a developer, and putting that story together of how, you know, we'll contribute to this reduction over time. That second part, the first part, I mean, we know all the technical stuff that we can do today. Um, You know, and we can debate how to quantify it and all that kind of stuff, but really telling that story about how does this development in 2022 get to carbon neutral or 85% below or whatever number we decide is appropriate in 2045, that part is the real challenge that we've had. And and it's different. I mean, this is both, you know, professionally very engaging because it's very challenging. It's very different from almost every other environmental analysis we do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the ad hoc is going to continue for a
1: while. And Jennifer, where do you think we're going? Yeah, you know, I think everyone will
4: agree that carbon neutrality is a great goal. Um, It's also just a challenging goal right now for individual land use product. Um, projects to show that they are complying with it, because as we know, the state has to do a lot. There needs to be a lot of technological progress. There's a lot of things outside of an applicant or a lead agency's control to get there, um, and it doesn't just mean zero, right? Even the state as a whole, we don't get to zero, right? We have some emissions that can't go down, so then we have to go negative to to balance out to get there. When you look on a microscale individual project, they don't usually have that those opportunities. So while we want to set us up so we can meet those goals in the future, I think um, requiring it, like it doesn't mean zero for a project right now and saying that would be really, uh, really tough and probably put a lot of CEQA projects in in, in a bad place. Um, we also have this substantial evidence um, requirement under CEQA that makes modeling just the the showing that support on the number side really hard we know our cars are going to be all electric in 2045 but that's not what our models show right now so we have that (laughs) we know they have
3: to be we don't know that they will be okay yeah Yeah. i'm I'm being very
4: optimistic (laughs) (laughs) we're going to get there at one point but even the state's model says we're at like 10% Ten percent EVs in twenty forty five. Mm-hmm. So there's a disconnect, and there's a like to the ad hoc sense we're we're going to be around forever because we have a lot of things to solve. <laughs> um, so yeah, check check it back in with us once I we think, uh, solve this one.
1: I think I think this is a really good segue into wrapping up with like a last final question that's more dreamy, like visionary, dreamy. So let's all finish this sentence, and I'll guide you. Um, wouldn't it be cool if? And I'm thinking about, uh, for me, for example, hearing you guys talk about uh, carbon neutrality and where it's going. For me, wouldn't it be cool if there was a CEQA exemption for 24-7 renewable energy baseload power that also contributed to the supply chain of electric vehicles? And with that, Michael, wouldn't it be cool if? Wouldn't
2: it be cool if the Climate Change Committee for AAP had extended its influence worldwide And i'm encouraged because i've seen some of our white papers cited with like the ministry of environment for the province of Ontario and uh, New York State department of environment. so wouldn't it be cool if it this extended outside of California and extended worldwide so that we had m- more of the leadership uh, and the willpower to uh, get to our our stated goals in a practical, uh, feasible way.
1: It's dreamy. I like it. Rich, wouldn't it be cool if
2: if every
3: municipality in California had a climate action plan, and we don't analyze greenhouse gases under CEQA anymore?
1: Woohoo! <laughs> Another great Let's dream. let reduce
3: emissions. Let's stop fighting about words in an, in an EIR.
1: Truth. Truth. Jennifer, wouldn't it be cool if I'm a sequin nerd. So um,
4: to my last point, <laughs> wouldn't it be cool if we didn't have to, we could operate inside a, reality and outside of the constraints of models and substantial evidence and could ignore some case law (laughs) and we could just erase it i know that the best foot you know best foot forward in the future is to understand our past and what we've done but if maybe we can just go forward with what we think is good right now um, and not have to check all those millions of boxes to get it it sounds
1: it sounds like all of us just want to be unleashed (laughs) <laughs> that would be cool just, just like make big change like yesterday um thank you all so much for being here given that this ad hoc committee is going to be long lasting and sustainable into the future i'm sure we'll have you back to talk Looking more things to about what's going on uh, again michael thank you for your leadership jennifer thank you for your leadership rich thank you for, thank you for your leadership aep appreciates you keep up the good fight thank you so
0: much for being with us you're welcome Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated when new episodes are released and leave us a review to let us know what you think. It also really helps us to share the podcast with others who may enjoy learning about the environmental industry. If you want to submit a shout out or any feedback, please send an email or voice memo to podcast at califaep.org. The email again is podcast with an S, podcast at califaep.org.